Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. It's been a good time of worship, hasn't it? God is good. Okay, so as um, Pastor Jim just said, I'm going to preach about overcoming insecurity. And I would just have to say, we were just singing about, you know, this is my testimony. I can definitely testify to the power of God in this area personally. So uh, the opening question, are you living in a place of security within yourself Or is insecurity a constant battle for you in your life? Do you do life from a place of security? Or is insecurity a constant battle that you are having to deal with? What is insecurity? What is it? It's feeling inadequate, having a sense of lack of self-worth, feeling somehow less than other people, Insecurity can have an expectation that you will not be liked, that you will not be accepted. When people are insecure, they fear that they will not be liked or accepted. Being overly concerned about how other people perceive you, being overly concerned about that. There's a difference between being insecure and being self-aware. Self-aware is something we should all have. We should all go through life with self-awareness. But that's not the same as insecurity. Uh, Insecurity is when we worry too much about what other people think. And when, in fact, we make our decisions, important decisions, based on how other people will perceive it, as opposed to what we know is right or what we know God wants us to do. Romans 12 says that we are to think about ourselves with sober judgment. Sober judgment. It means think about yourself with clear eyes. Have a clear-eyed attitude about who you are. Don't think too highly of yourself and don't think too lowly of yourself. That, that bit in Romans 12, that is, in my opinion, the Bible telling us to be self-aware. Be self-aware. If we have too high an ego or if we are insecure or um, carrying around an inferiority complex, either of those things will cause us not to be able to have a clear-eyed judgment about ourselves. If we have an overinflated ego, or we think we're less than other people, that takes away our ability to judge ourselves soberly. (coughs) Excuse me, clear-eyed. Insecurity sometimes shows itself as front sometimes shows itself as putting on a front. Not everyone who appears strong is strong. Not everyone who appears secure is secure. Insecurity is a hidden thing very often in people and appearances can be very deceiving. Insecurity is an identity issue. Now, sometimes it gets thought of as a emotion issue, oh, it's just an emotion because we say, I feel insecure. And people think it's an emotion. 
but it's an identity issue and here is why. Because insecurity is the belief that I am not enough. It's the belief that I am not good enough. I somehow lack, I am somehow less, I am somehow faulty. That's what insecurity is. It's not an emotion. It's a wrong self-belief that I'm not enough. I'm just not enough. Now, it brings with it destructive emotions because when we feel that way about ourselves, our thoughts will spiral and we will get destructive emotions that come with it. But in itself, it is an identity issue. It's an issue of how do I identify? And it's not even I'm not good at certain things because that's all of us. We are all not good at certain things. And that is part of having healthy self-awareness. To know that you don't know everything and you can't do everything is very healthy. So it's not about what I can and can't do. Knowing that you are not good at everything is sensible, not insecure. I would actually like to join this band. I would love to be part of this band as a guitarist. But I am riddled with insecurity about it because I can't play the guitar. And you know what? We have all been given a voice that we can sing with, that we can praise with, that we can worship with. But I am certain only God likes my joyful noise. I would love to have a great singing voice. Insecurity is not about, I'm just not good at certain things. We're all not good at certain things. That's a sensible way to see yourself. It's a not what I do thing, it's a who I am thing. I'm not good enough, not I'm not good enough at something. It's a sense that I'm just not good enough. I am not enough. Now you may ask, why is this being talked about in church on a Sunday? Because that's the pulpit and isn't this a psychological issue? Insecurity is actually very deeply a spiritual issue for two reasons. Number one, it is part of the old creation, the old person, the pre-Jesus person. Insecurity is part of the broken person before Jesus. There's no place for insecurity in the life of a believer because our lives are secure in Christ. Our lives are secure in Christ. So it is actually a deeply spiritual issue. And the other reason it's a spiritual issue is that it tries to creep into our lives, even though it's part of the old person, which we have crucified with Christ, even though it's part of the old person, it tries to creep in to who we are in Jesus. It tries to come in because we know our mind is a battlefield. And when it comes in, it actually holds us back from doing things that God wants us to do. So this is not a psychological thing. You may be thinking, or oh, maybe Pavey needs to see a counsellor. That's not where we're going today. This is a deeply spiritual issue when a Christian is insecure because we are secured in Christ. Amen? We are secured in Christ. I wonder how many people are holding back from a step of obedience or a step of faith because of insecurity. Because God calls us into steps of faith and the one thing that will hold us back is, oh, not me, I am just not good enough. 
God, call someone better. Call someone more. You know, when you look through the Bible, Moses, God, I can't speak. God, why would you send me? You see Gideon, he's hiding in a press. He's terrified and God comes along and says, you know, you're a mighty warrior. We, people get very insecure, but when we're in Jesus, we are secured. I want us to have a quick look at the life of David, the great King David. And I was actually going to put all the scriptures in, but there's so many. It just goes too long. You can think how many chapters there are in the Bible about David. So we're just going to have a quick look at his life. And he was, you know, the man after God's own heart. We know that um, apart from Jesus, he's the greatest king that Israel ever had. He's considered their greatest earthly king. But when you look at his life, he did not have very many significant people, significant relationships in his life that did him good. He had so many significant relationships in his life that were more harm to him than good to him. So how did he live in that confidence in God? Let's have a look at his life. We first hear about David in 1 Samuel 16. Samuel the prophet has been sent by God to Bethlehem to anoint the new king. Bethlehem, a good place for a king to come from, right? Then Samuel sees Jesse's, Jesse's sons and Samuel goes, right, I know the family. I, know who, I, I now have pinpointed who, what family the new king is going to come from and I'm going to start seeing who it is. So Jesse brings out his sons and the first son walks up and Samuel's like, whoa, here we go, this is him. I can tell. This, look at him. Wow. So he's like, this must be him. And the Lord's like, no, nope, not him. Second son comes. No, not him. Third son comes. No, not him. One by one, seven sons. No, no. All the favoured sons are paraded out in front of the prophet. Look at him, look at him, look at him. God says, man looks on the outside, I look on the heart. It's none of them. So then Samuel says to Jesse, David's dad, you must have another son because God has sent me here to anoint one of your sons, obviously. Jesse goes, oh, there's David out with the sheep. So David gets anointed to be the new king of Israel and he goes back out to deal with the sheep. And while he's out dealing with the sheep, lions come, bears come, and God enables him to deal with the lions, to deal with the bears. Why has God allowed him to be anointed? The guy is anointed, the new king, and he's sent back out into the paddock. Why has God allowed that? Because later we will see that in, in enabling him to deal with lions and bears, then he was able to deal with Goliath. And then he's also able to deal with a lot of other things that came to him as part of his kingship. Then dad sends him to the battlefront because there's a war. The Israelites are at war with the Philistines. So three, the oldest three of Jesse's sons are at this war. So dad says to David, David, grab these provisions, take them to your sons and take stuff to the boy's captain. Take these provisions to the battlefront for my sons. So David goes out there. And at this point, the Philistines have a champion a giant, Goliath, a really, really massive guy. He's their champion. And he's saying to the Israelites, we don't need two whole armies to go to war. Send someone out to fight it out with me. And whoever wins this fight one-on-one, -on -one, 
That's the battle. That's the nation that's won. Now, he's a champion since his youth, as is pointed out in the Bible. So all of the Israelite army is trembling because maybe the whole army could have taken him, but no one thinks I can take him myself. So the whole army is trembling. David comes there and he sees what's going on and he starts to say, why is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, the reason we point out that word uncircumcised, when back in that day in Israel, they were circumcised to say, I belong to God. So he's saying, why is somebody defying God and defying God's army and no one's doing anything about it? This went on for 40 days. No one was doing anything about it except trembling. So David starts saying this stuff. His oldest brother, Eliab, hears him. And he begins to belittle and berate David. And he says, to, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are coming here and talking to us? Where did you leave those few sheep? I tell you, I was so blessed when I heard that. Where did you leave those few sheep of yours? Who do you think you are coming here when you were just a little shepherd boy? David says, am I not even allowed to speak? Another version says that David says, is there not a cause right here? Is there not a cause that I could speak into? Is there not a cause here that I can do something about? Our God is being defied and none of his people are doing anything about it. Don't I have a cause? Don't I have a cause? So anyway, we know that David then says, I'm going to go and fight to Goliath. The king comes to him and says, you can't do that. You can't. He's, he's a champion since he was young and you're, you're you. How can you defeat him? And the king says to him, at least put on my armour. David's like, sorry, not my size, not my style. This is not what I do. You can imagine the king's armour because we know that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else in height. David's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not taking on your armour. So the king doesn't have any... The king doubts him. The king doesn't have any faith in him. David begins to walk towards Goliath and Goliath begins to curse him. The Goliath is cursing him. He is walking towards the giant and the giant is mocking him and cursing him. Again, who do you think you are? Am I a dog? You're coming at me with a stick. I'm assuming he has this shepherd's crook with him because Goliath says, what are you coming at me with sticks for? Am I, am I just a dog? What are you doing? And he begins to curse David and he begins to, again, defy God and defy the army of God. Well, we know the story one slingshot and one stone later, and he is dead. Before David takes him down, he says to him, you have defied our living God, and today I'm going to kill you. And everyone will know there is a God in Israel and that the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? The battle belongs to the Lord. As you keep looking through David's life, you will discover that the king, whose nation he saved that day, ended up trying to kill him through jealousy. His wife saw him dancing and worshipping the Lord and mocked him and laughed at him. And his son threatened him and tried to overthrow his throne. 
David did not have a lot of significant people in his world who built him up and did him good. He had all the hallmarks of a person who would be, you could imagine, an insecure, bubbling mess. Because no one believed him, no one backed him up, dad forgot him, the prophet overlooked him. All these people did not back him up the way they should have. Dad forgot him, the prophet overlooked him, his brother belittled him, the king doubted him and then tried to kill him, the giant cursed him, his wife laughed at him, and his son threatened him. But God chose him. God chose him. And God enabled him. And God, through David, opened up the line that led to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Saviour of the world. God chose him. Do you want to know a key to not being insecure? Don't rely on other people's opinions of you. Don't rely on what other people think of you. Care what God thinks. Care what God thinks. Don't worry about what other people are saying. Don't worry about what other people say you can or can't do or say you are or are not. Listen to what God says you can do. Listen to what God says you are. Listen to what God says. That's a key. Too many people get their sense of identity from what other people say about them. I'll know what I should do or I'll know, I'll know if I'm smart if people tell me I'm smart. I'll know I'm gifted if people tell me I'm gifted. I'll know I have an anointing if people tell me I have an anointing. I'll know I'm pretty if people tell me I'm pretty. I'll know I'm loved if someone tells me I'm loved. No. What does God say? That is the only way you will live without being insecure. It is the only way to live without being insecure. What does God say about me, not what does everybody else say about me? A while back, something was said to me that triggered, for want of a better word, triggered an enormous insecurity in me. Enormous. I unravelled. I completely unravelled. My whole sense of, don't cry, woman, my whole sense of security went. I was like, it just, you know, I know now that it was an attack of the enemy and I discovered quickly enough that I had misperceived what was said to me. I had misperceived something. But because I had heard it and taken it in a particular context, I completely unravelled. And so I began to pray. I was just praying and praying because it was like... My, the rock I was standing on had become sand. You know how the Bible talks about stand on a rock, build your house on the rock, don't build your house on sand. I felt like I was on some sort of gooey sand and everything I thought had thought, I was all going and oh, I was wrong and, you know, all that stuff. I cannot remember a time when something threw me so completely. So, of course, I prayed and I leaned into Jesus. Three days after I became unravelled, three days into this, I spoke with Jim, and he, he helped me get my perspective. 
He gave me perspective on this and helped me to understand what was actually happening. I could see how I had misperceived everything and that it wasn't at all what I had thought. And so I raveled back up again. I unraveled and then I raveled. But out of that, I realised that I had some deep insecurity that I did not even know I had. And it was like a button was pressed and my, I, it, my, my soul was mayhem. My soul was in mayhem. It was like this button was pressed. So I began talking to God about it, as you do. So I started to talk to God about this because I was like, God, I didn't even know that I could feel like that about this sort of thing. I, I didn't even realise that I had this massive vulnerability. And these words came to me so clearly. Your life is hidden in God, in Christ. Your life is... So that became my thing that I would just... Whenever I felt a bit wiggly, my life is hidden in God, in Christ. So that comes from Colossians chapter 3. So if you open your word with me, however you like to read the Bible. Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first four verses. So I'm reading from verse 1. It says this, Since you have been raised with Christ. That word raised there is actually raised together. You have been raised together with Christ. And I just want to emphasise that. Because when we say, oh, you're raised with Christ, we go, oh, yes, Jesus ascended to God and, and he's picked me up and he's rescued me and all that. But no, no, what it's actually saying is Jesus has been raised. You have been raised together with him. It's not just that you made a decision to follow him. It's not just that you made a decision to receive him as your saviour. You have actually been raised with him. Since then, you have been raised together with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Oh, things are where Christ is, sorry. Set your hearts on things above, sorry. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Your heart and your mind. Because your heart is the essence of who you are. And your mind is the engine room for everything we do. Our minds are the engine room for everything we do. So it's like this. You receive Jesus. The moment you receive Jesus, as we sang this morning, you were justified. So this is old life. Jesus is raised here. The moment you receive Jesus, you're raised with him. You're here. New life. Old life, new life. Old man, new man. Old person, new person. Old creation, new creation. And Paul is saying, essentially, because of the context of this part of Colossians, he's saying, you are raised with Christ, so why is your mind still down here? Why are you still looking here? Why are you still looking in the places where there's pain? Why are you still looking in the places where you were hurt? Why are you still looking at the things that make you insecure? Why are you still looking at the things that make you fearful? He says, set your mind on things above. What are the things above? The things above are the things of God. What God says about you. 
what God does for you. Set your mind on things above. Paul is essentially saying, stop thinking like you still live here. You no longer live here anymore. I saw a meme just yesterday as I was preparing this. I saw a meme and it said, trying to bring up my past to hurt me is like robbing a house I used to live in. I don't live there anymore. I don't live there anymore. And Paul is saying, you don't live here anymore. And I'm not saying low and high. I'm just two different places. And Paul says, you still think like you live here. You still identifying as if this is you, whereas actually you're, you've been raised with Christ. It's an identity issue. We have to understand what identity is in Christ. And then he goes on, he says, for you died. Now, that is the Greek word apathnesko. For you died, apathnesko. Now, thnesko means to die, either spiritually or physically. It can speak of either spiritual or physical in the Greek, thnesko. So, as I look around here, I only see alive people. So, he's not talking physically, okay? If you see different, tell Pastor Randall and he'll sort it. But everyone in this room is alive physically. So, what it's saying is that spiritually... The essence of who you are, your old identity died at the cross with Christ so you can live in his identity that he gives you now. You now have the identity of Christ. The old identity is left at the cross. Jesus died physically at the cross, at the cross so that we can take our old identity spiritually and lay it there as well, so we can live in a new identity in Christ. Tnesco. So we get what Paul is saying. It isn't, it isn't a physical death, it's a spiritual death, but it isn't just a death to the way I used to do things. It's not a culture death, if you know what I'm saying. It's not just I'm a nicer person now than I used to be. I no longer drink, swear, smoke. I didn't do that before, sorry. But I, you know what I mean? We go, oh, I, didn't do, I don't do all those things. I'm a good person now. That's not what this is. This is an identity issue. You are not who you were. Not about what you do. You are not who you were. But how often we still live as if we are still that person in our thinking. I remember that time that person said that and it just broke me. I remember when this happened. I'm not minimising anything, I promise you. I'm just saying Paul is trying to emphasise it to the people of Colossians because of how they were thinking and behaving. He's trying to emphasise to them, you don't live there anymore. You don't live there anymore. Don't fish in that pond. You live elsewhere. You're living up here with Jesus raised with Christ. Physically, we still are who we are. Yes, hello, you are Lena. Hello, you are Ungo. I am Pavey. I probably do need counselling. But physically, we still are who we are. Spiritually, we are not who we were. Amen. We are not that person in our spirit. We have been raised with Christ. Now, I said the word there is apathnesco, um, and thnesco is the word to die. APO on the front of it that Paul has included there, apo, that means to renounce, to be away from and have no fellowship with. So what he's saying is, you haven't just died to your old self, you have renounced it. You have died away from it. 
you absolutely have no fellowship with it. What is fellowship? Fellowship is like what we do out here on a Sunday morning. We have our service and then we go out and we have tea and coffee, we have morning tea and we fellowship together because that's what fellowship is. The word fellowship actually means, I want to make sure I get this right, the word fellowship means association, especially with people of similar interest. So when we go outside and we're having morning tea, our joint interest, our joint basic association is that we belong to Jesus. We're family. We're the family of God. And then we can talk about other things and we have other joint interests. But borderline, we are not borderline, basic, we are the family of God. And that is what has joined us and caused us to have fellowship. And Paul is saying fellowship, um, association, joint interest, you have been taken away from having any of that with the old person. It's all broken. It's all broken. He didn't just die, but when the old person died, it died with God taking you away from that. So Paul is saying, stop fellowshipping there. Don't get those old thoughts and make a cup of coffee and sit around and hang. We need to stop hanging with our insecurities. We need to stop hanging with our fears. We need to stop hanging with our doubts. We need to stop hanging with disbelief. I'm not talking about people, I'm talking with us, ourselves, our identity. We are still hanging on sometimes to an old identity which Jesus laid at the foot of the cross. So that's what Paul is saying there. You are raised away from that. You are raised together with Christ, dead to self, to the point where you have no fellowship, no shared interest. I'm not talking about your hobbies. You know what I'm saying. If you enjoyed cricket before you got saved, continue enjoying cricket. But what he's saying is, stop associating with who that person was. We do have a battlefield in our mind. But Paul is saying, justified with God, you don't have to have this massive battle all the time. You decide, I belong to Jesus and I'm raised with Christ. The next time somebody hurts you, we're human beings, we get hurt. What do we do with it? Oh, they're right. I am useless. Oh, they're right. I'm stupid. No. 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 That's not what God has said. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have the mind of Christ. Don't tell me I'm stupid. I have the mind of Christ. We are a new creation. That life, that identity is put to death on the cross. We must not identify with our old faulty self because our, our identity is in Christ and there is no fault in him. There's no fault in Jesus. There's no lack in Jesus. There's nothing missing. There's nothing wrong. And that is our identity in the spirit in Jesus. And then Paul continues and he says this. This must be verse 3. He says, and your life. That word life is the Hebrew word, uh, Greek word zaos, Z-A-O. It's closely connected to the word zoe, which we know, I believe, means born again. Zao, which is to experience God's life. So he says the life you have now is God's life for you. The life you have now is the life of God, because it's, in, it's hidden inside of Christ, and it says that life is hidden in God, in Christ. That word hidden means it's contained and it's secured. So 
the life I have now in God, my raised up near Jesus life, your raised up near Jesus life, it is contained and it is secured in God. And then he goes on to say, when Christ, who is your life, again, that identification thing, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying that right now people cannot see the glory of God. Of course they can't. We, by faith, understand the glory of God. Well, we're learning to understand it. I don't think any of us will this side of heaven. We're just learning it. But we know that God has this glory. But people walking around the streets who don't know Jesus, they don't know the glory of God, and they don't know the power of God that rests in us. They, don't, they can't see it. So what Paul is saying, when the day comes that Jesus' glory is revealed, so will his glory in us be revealed. So will the glory that God has put in us be revealed. And as Randall was saying, that Christ lives in us, and he lives in us because we are in him. We are contained and we are secured in him. See, this was so freeing for me. The, this, the reason this was so freeing for me, all that sense that so many of us have, I'm not good enough, I'm so inadequate, I can't do this, I've never been good enough, I'm less than ever. Those feelings that so many of us have, it was so freeing for me because I, I, it was the first time I had such a revelation. So really, that unravelling and that thing that was said, it was such a favour to me. It did me such a favour because I had to so lean into God on it. And, and the Lord gave me such a revelation of how much I am just in him. And that thing that I thought, if that happens, I don't know, what, what would I do? Now it's like God says to me, no matter what happens, you're in me. See, the peace of God that we have in this identity is not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. What I mean by that is, if something is good, I can have peace. If something is bad, do I not have peace? If I have a good day, I am blessed. If I have a bad day, does that mean I'm not blessed? No, you're always blessed. You're always blessed. God allows our hard days to, to bring our character. And God allowed me to go through this so I could understand this. I was still blessed and it was everything's okay. I hope I'm explaining this well enough. I've been praying, God, help me bring this Colossians thing out properly because, um, yeah, it's not so easy always to understand. But the Lord showed me that this big insecurity moment was something that was still in my old life and I was allowing it to be here. I had fellowshiped with it here. And he was like, break that fellowship because you're secured and contained in me. And he broke all of that. It just broke. It was, it was actually, I shouldn't say it was amazing because God is amazing. So in closing, what can we take away from this? Don't be ruled by other people's opinions. They cannot see what God can see. And that's not having a go. That's not saying, oh, those people. Literally, people can't see what God can see. We can only see what we can see. We're limited human beings. We can only see what we can see. Don't resent people who can't see what God can see. Because God can see it. And God will do what he's going to do. He will make a way when you are ready for him to make, when you are, as in when he has prepared us. David was out with the sheep after his great anointing. Why? He wasn't ready at that point to take on kingship. So he was overlooked. 
Did he sit out there and resent everyone for overlooking? Reading the Psalms, he had a lot of healing that he had to get and he got it. When you read the Psalms, you can see the healing work that God did in his life. Don't resent people if they overlook you. They're not God. They're not God. Don't worry about it. Just talk to God about it. If you have an anointing and it hasn't been recognised yet or fully recognised, fully opened up with all the opportunities and you know that God has anointed you, what happened to David? He was anointed but he had to wait until God finished his preparation work on him. There were lions, there were bears, yeah, so he could take Goliath. Don't, don't freak out about this stuff. I used to freak out about stuff. Now I'm like, ah, I'll talk to God. Talk to God about this stuff. If you are overlooked, remember whose eye is always upon you, who has never overlooked you, never will overlook you, will never leave you, will never forsake you. People say whatever they say, God, what do you say? What do you say I am? Am I pleasing you? If I'm pleasing you, it's an audience of one. The rest absolutely doesn't matter. Remember this. You are raised together with Christ. You are not who you were. If you feel insecure at certain times, just remember, you are not who you were. You are not who you were. You are raised together with Christ. You are hidden in Christ. You are contained you are secured, secured in Christ. And when Christ appears, your glory will be shown when his glory is shown. Amen? Amen. I'm going to open the altar because I believe there are people that need to be agreed with by prayer to break off some insecurities. Maybe to break fellowship with some fear, break fellowship with some insecurities. I'm going to invite the musicians to come, but if any musicians want prayer, don't worry about going to the platform. We'll pray with you. Would you stand with me? The musicians are going to play a song, and I'm just going to invite you to come, and we're going to pray with you. If you just have any fears and insecurities, we're going to pray. We're going to break that off, because that is not part of who you are now in Jesus. Amen. Thank you to those who've joined us online. We love you, online community, and we hope to see you again next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.